Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith America Podcast. This is volume 101, and it's a good one. The guest that we have today uh, has really helped me a lot in the past year. As a lot of you guys know, uh, last fall, I was offered an unbelievable opportunity to host SEC Nation while our amazing colleague Laura Rutledge was away for maternity leave. And you never know what's involved in how someone does their job or the intricacies that you just can't see until you do it. And that was most certainly the case for me with what I see from what Reese is able to do on college game day and what Laura is able to do on SEC Nation. There is so much involved in it that I never dreamed. I knew that it was a lot harder than than I thought it was. I, I just knew it was. But until you're in that moment where you're trying to manage a live television program and all of the very important sponsor elements that are involved in that while trying to tee up three or four or five extremely talented analysts with who all have unique perspective and valuable perspective and get to this break and come out of that break and make sure that you're setting up your boy McGee for an essay that he's written that's important properly. It's just a lot all at once. Meanwhile, a producer or two are talking to you constantly in your ear to make sure that you're going the right directions and that you don't forget anything. They are your safety net that is invaluable. It's a lot to manage at once. And there was no way that I could be prepared for it. I knew that going in, but even though I knew that going in, it was still so much more than I even thought it might be. And I already had the highest esteem and respect and admiration for Reese because to me, of we have so many talented broadcasters at ESPN, some of the most accomplished, most talented broadcasters in the world work for us. And I put Reese at the top of that list. And I say that because of his versatility and how easy he makes it look on college game day. And there's so much about him that I admire away from work. He is a man of faith who walks the walk. He is kind to other people. He is open to assisting other people. And I'm one of those folks. He was the first person I called when I got this opportunity because I just needed to kind of hear his thoughts on it. And that's why I wanted to do this conversation. Uh, unfortunately, he's a very popular man, and when we did this conversation, I never really even got to his path from growing up in Alabama to ESPN. He was the voice of the moment for us when COVID-19 shut down the entire world. March 12th, 2020 will be a day that there are 30 for 30s and documentaries done about because 
I was in Nashville, Tennessee with my boys Carl Ravitch and Jimmy Dykes and our producer Scott Matthews and director Derek Mobley and on and on. And we're there to broadcast the SEC men's basketball tournament. And one by one by one by one, conference tournaments were canceled, the NCAA tournament was canceled, and our world changed right there before our eyes. And Reese was the voice of all of that because he was in studio and as all of this new breaking developing news came in it was his job to disseminate that information to the world and I, again i can't i can't tell you guys how difficult that is and the ease with which he does it blows my mind every time that's kind of where we start from there we just go through what it's like to manage everything that he manages on college game day, both in football and basketball, and all that that job entails. And the beautiful camaraderie that they have on college game day that is very rare. It's it's hard to encapsulate the importance of that show. I've said many times that I believe, I wrote it in my book, college game day in football has become every bit as vital to the fabric of the sport as the games themselves. It is must-watch television, and he is the point man to set up people like Desmond Howard and David Pollock and Kirk Herbstreet and Coach and Tom Rinaldi and Gene Wojciechowski and everybody involved, Maria Taylor, everybody involved in, in that show. Well, think about this, Marty. He gets college kids, that show gets college kids to wake up early on Saturday mornings when they're hungover because it's, it's, a, it's a ritual. It's a religion basically for college football towns and students to get up and you start your day off with college game day and you get going with your drinking. Like, but you get people waking up early for that. For some reason, I get the inkling that you, you speak from experience. Uh, yeah, we had a rule that you had to have beer in hand once college game day came on. See, there you go. That's the importance of college game day. Before we get to Reese, uh, I want to remind you guys of the importance of good oral hygiene. Let's talk about brushing our teeth for just a minute. 75% of us use old, worn-out bristles, and those bristles are ineffective. And even more people forget to floss daily. Good health starts with good habits, and Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to brush and floss better. The Quip electric toothbrush has timed sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide the dentist-recommended two-minute routine. And there's even a sized-down version designed for kids. Paired with Quip's anti-cavity toothpaste in mint or watermelon, you get all the ingredients teeth actually need and none they don't. Quip also has an eco-friendly refillable floss with a dispenser you keep for life and expanding string that helps to clean in between. Quip brush head toothpaste and floss refills are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5 each. A friendly reminder that when it's time for a refresh and to stay committed to your oral health, and shipping is free. 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 Zero dollars, zero cents. 
Join more than 3 million happy customers and practice good oral care easily and affordably with Quip starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash America right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash America. This is how you spell it. Getquip.com slash America. Quip, the good habits company. I also want to remind you guys that my boy Stu Gotts has a podcast you need to check out. Go download Stu Potity and Marty Smith's America wherever you get your podcasts right now. I actually don't tell anybody, Travis. I do know that Mike listens to the podcast because he writes me nice notes about the interviews and how great he thinks they are. But I still owe them a dare. And I don't even remember what it is. I think I have to dress up like... Something. This isn't good for you, Marty. No, no. And it, if it's so long, has me rusty. And you better hope that there's not like interest or anything on this unpaid debt. Yeah, we don't need to. We don't need to get too deep into that because I don't need to. I don't need those guys on me to pay off my my dress up debt. Um, as I said, this this guy is. Amazing at his job. I admire him so much, not only for the professional he is, but for the man he is. Here is Reese Davis, the host of College Game Day in football and basketball, and one of the faces of ESPN. Let's just start with that Thursday when we were all scattered around the country at various conference tournaments and the coronavirus begins canceling everything right before our eyes. You were the face of that historic moment for ESPN. Everybody in the sporting world was turning to us for answers and for explanation. And with every bit of stunning news that came in, you had the perfect word. And for those of y'all listening, you cannot fathom how hard that is to do. So, Reese, I'll ask you first, how would you describe that day and the days that followed? Bizarre. I hate to use the word because I think it's something that we overuse now, but this might be perfect for this situation and calling it surreal because it seemed like something you would see in a movie, but you didn't think could ever actually happen. You kept thinking, well, this is not going to be as bad as the alarmist said. And I'm talking about in the in the weeks leading up to to the day that you're talking about. But in the moment. I think when you know everybody's pointed to the to the moment that Rudy Gobert tested positive, and we realized this is this thing is something that can touch you know anyone in a variety of circumstances. They're not it's not just people who aren't paying attention. It's it's doing normal things, or in this case, you know he was. I, I mean, I know he did some silly stuff, but you know he was playing basketball or whatever, and. I think that was the moment we said, well, you know what, we don't have a good containment on it. Keeping people um, out of the arenas is not necessarily going to be as big a help as perhaps many had first envisioned. And I think at that moment, you know, we started to realize that none of these things, the tournaments or anything, could feasibly happen. And that made it all the more bizarre to me, Marty, that I was sitting there while we were anticipating all of these things, including anticipating the likelihood that the NCAA tournament would be called off, 
And I was watching the Big East play the first half of a game in Madison Square Garden, which would prove to be the epicenter. And I, right. you know, I know people have said different things, and it's very tough to be a commissioner and be a leadership of the conference. But that was, you know, that was uh, that was just weird. And and uh, the whole thing, I think, um, demanded on our part, all of us who were on the air, to to be um, measured, to be considered but at the same time to be forceful when the moment called for it. So I was critical of the Big East, and I think rightfully so. But you also had to temper that with a little bit by acknowledging that much of the reaction was based on the fact that scientists didn't know how this virus was going to react. They still don't, totally, uh, though hopefully we're getting a closer handle on it. And because of that, that was causing some fear. And you you didn't want to be an alarmist, but neither did you want to be a person who was saying, uh, everybody relax, it's going to be fine, because we don't, we didn't know if it was going to be fine or not. So uh, it was, you know, it was, um, I think when you're in the moment, you're just trying to make sure that you concentrate, that you find the right words, and that you don't say something or give an impression of something that you don't mean. And sometimes and sometimes that means over explaining something or offering a caveat when often, you know, we don't like to apologize for what we're about to say or or offer an out. But I think in this particular case, it was wise to kind of be measured in in what you say and remind people um, of the percentages that have been reported and also remind people that you weren't sitting up there pretending to be some type of expert on infectious diseases. Again, I'll repeat to those of you listening, you cannot imagine how difficult it is to be that person in that moment that so many people are looking to to carry that narrative and do so in an accurate, compassionate way. And brother, I will tell you, uh, you know how I feel about your talent. I think that you're the most talented guy we have at the company. But that moment was just brilliant. You, you did such a good job. Our, it is surreal as Surreal is truly the only word for me. Our worlds have stopped, and I never dreamed that any of us in sports broadcasting would see this experience. How have you rationalized or or come to accept that so many iconic entertainment moments have been postponed and canceled? I mean, we're trying to rationalize something that is really irrational. Largely in the big picture, it doesn't matter much. I think it reminds us of where... Um, of where this place is in terms of humanity. And it also reminds us of how fortunate you and I are to be able to work in this industry and television and cover sports in the industry. The, you know, I've heard it often referred to as the toy store of the world. And, and that is largely what it is. That doesn't mean that it's not important or that people can't grieve or be sad about losses. I mean, we, and I mean the loss of seasons and the loss of, uh, you know, of eras or whatever it might be. Marty, you know, just a, a couple of days before this, we had, uh, my family had really had to had mourn the loss of my son's last season, baseball season at Princeton, because the Ivy League, you know, was sort of ahead of some of the others in canceling the spring sports. And, you know, they barely, they start later than everyone anyway, so they'd barely gotten their season started. And all of a sudden, you know, his last year was taken away. And at the time, you were still wondering, wow, it, you know, is could we not just wait and postpone and see how this thing goes a little bit? And then things started moving so rapidly after that. The next night uh, was the the Gobert test. And then the day after that, when everything started coming to an end. So 
we sort of we sort of ran the gamut even on a personal level in a very short period of time between a personal you know loss of something that had had a lot of uh, a lot of time and investment and physical and emotional and mental energy put into it to have it be taken away in a flash and then to see that that it was going to spread well beyond that and into you know every every aspect of sports and entertainment it's uh, you know it, it's kind of weird and you then you you know the next assignment that i have at the moment is the nfl draft and you start to look and say how what is that going to be like and we know it's not going to be the way it was in nashville last year but you just sort of look at how do we do these things you know what uh, what's the significance of them at what point uh, does the country need this type of thing to kind of get back to whatever the new normal is going to be at what at what point is it prudent um you know all all of those things come into your mind and it's it's been it's been very um you know very strange to to watch this unfold and sort of wonder what the next turn is going to be and whether you know whether we can make a turn for the positive and hopefully move toward um, all these things getting back on our calendar or if it's going to you know be a longer delay let's go back to christopher's last year i was going to ask you about that uh much more pointedly what's the juxtaposition as a dad between the emotion of seeing him lose that final season and the realization that it's the right decision well, I mean, I think I think it's been, you know, it's been a difficult one for him. Now, he is because of other situations that you're aware of with his uh, injury history and with what the NCAA apparently is about to do. He is going to have the opportunity to continue his career, but it just won't be at Princeton because of Ivy League rules. And he's set to graduate and get his degree and everything. But he'll he'll still have, you know, depending on their legislation, he may still have a couple of years left. Play and and we're grateful and thankful for that. I know that there are others, other athletes who've had you know their careers come to an end, you know, as a result of this, and that's uh, and, and we understand where that ranks. But uh, yeah, I think that that has been. I think the thing is, Marty, is that those things aren't mutually exclusive. And Christopher and I have talked a lot about this. I'm I'm blessed. Both my kids, you know, are. Um, do some, you know, my my daughter's in uh, in the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU, and she's had her studio and acting opportunities taken away. Um, you know, she's in the middle of her career, and we and every all of us understand where that ranks on the scale. But it doesn't mean you can't be sad about those things. You mm-hmm. can't mourn those things, and and th- that's those aren't mutually exclusive terms. You can still have a um, deep care for humanity and understand the decisions that are made, and and even recognize them as being the proper ones. And it doesn't mean that you have to then run away from the fact that you're sad about, um, you know, your tenure at a school ending that way or in my daughter's case her sophomore year, you know, or the middle of her college career turning into this in the city that she loves going to school and being, you know, uh, you know, really um, in turmoil right now over this. You can be you know, you can you can do both. And I think that's I think that sometimes that in the hot take overreaction world that we live in in social media that if you acknowledge, um, you know, one side or the other, it means you're being dismissive of something else. And, you know, we're multifaceted human beings. We can, you know, we can be sad about something and still realize it's uh, it, where it stands in context with other things going on in the world. You were a great resource to me this past fall when I didn't really know what in the hell I was doing when I was asked to fill in 
on SEC Nation as a host. And in that moment of great insecurity, I called a lot of people, and Reese was at the top of that list. I didn't know how to prepare. I didn't know how to manage multiple hours of live television in a structured but very free-flowing format that you have to read very quickly and make very quick decisions. And every week I'd get a text or call from from Reese and my boss, Lee Fitting, who runs football at ESPN, saying, watch Reese, watch Reese, watch Reese, and the brilliant ways that you direct that traffic with all those personalities and always seem to have that perfect nugget of information to close a debate. Those are talents that I just did not fully respect. I watched you do it for years. I watched Fowler do it, but I didn't respect it fully until I kind of had to do something very similar. So let's talk game day here for a few minutes. What's the challenge of commanding college game day? Some of those little aspects that viewers don't see. Well, first of all, let me say you're being entirely too hard on yourself because I thought you were, you know, you were put in a difficult situation. You did, a, you did a great job and showed to be, you know, um, a versatile guy and a, and a great teammate. And I think being, being a good teammate and an unselfish one. And some of our colleagues might not like the word you just used, but I absolutely love it. You said <laughs> being at command of game day. I like that. I don't know if they would or not. <laughs> but I next do. contract, we're putting it in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, Commander of game day. Yeah, I, that's what I would like for my title to be. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it is in some ways that, but to properly execute that role, you have to be unselfish and even look back at at your shows and realize that maybe there are times when you were more selfish than you should have been. Um, I don't think that a host should, number one, I hate it when producers say, tee up Kirk, tee up Desmond. And t- my typical response to that, and my buddy uh, Jim Gallero, who's a producer of Game Day, has eliminated that from his vernacular because <laughs> I, I've told him, I said, look, if you want somebody just to tee up analysts, I said, well, you can go get a trained SEAL to do that. I said, I've got, I've got a life. i got stuff to do. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't think it, I don't think you function best in a show like, the ones that I do or the show that that you did, SEC Nation, you don't function best if you're saying, well, Tim, what do you think about Florida and Georgia today? Or how do you think the Gators, you know, it doesn't mean that you're debating him on the intricacies of footwork for the quarterback, but it does mean that you can, that you can have a judgment or an opinion on whether, uh, whether a team should go for it on on third and seven, or whether a team made an error in personnel, you can have you can have a legitimate judgment and discussion on those things. And so, I think knowing where that line is, trying to avoid hyperextending yourself by trying to prove that you studied or prove what you know, while still being able to drop. Uh, you know, a little nugget of information here and there when it seems right. I mean, you know this from from doing it, Marty. So much that you prepare during the week, whether it's a statistical nugget, an anecdote, something. So much that you think on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever it is that you come across this or someone tells you something, you think, I'm getting that in the show. How much mm-hmm. of it doesn't make the show? It, because, 99%. Yeah, a ton of it doesn't. And one <laughs> of the, and that doesn't mean it's an error of omission. Maybe it just didn't fit in the moment. And, and there are also times, I think, when something pops in your head during a discussion, you say, hey, I'm going to point this out. 
And even if it's something as simple as this discussion feels like it's getting long, you know, and even if your even if your story, anecdote, statistical nugget is good and might people might find informative, there's a time when you just have to eat it, you know, <laughs> and, and you right. go and you go, you know what? Discussions run its course. We're good here. And you've got you've got to move it to the next thing. And you have to make a quick judgment. And, you know, and it's almost in, instinctive, I think as to whether that is something that wraps up the conversation or whether the great Bud Morgan, who I, you know, worked in at ABC sports forever and was our talent coach years ago would come in and he always advised all of us as hosts and anchors, avoid trying to be the smartest kid in the class, you know, like jumping up saying, I, I, I know what their offensive efficiency is on third and six, you know, you know, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So you have to find that balance between being insightful, wrapping up a discussion, maybe giving something that is great. And at times when you say, you know what, that's just me trying to show everybody that I did my homework this week, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I think it takes some experience and time and feel. I think feel might be more important than anything else. Can you, can you feel the room? Can you, get as accurate a sense as possible what the people at home are thinking while they, while they watch it. And, you know, the other, I tell the guys this all the time. So you guys got to remember, I said, the only people likely, uh, there are only two sets of people who sit there and obsess over virtually every frame of the show as it goes and run it back and watch it on DVR one us. And, yep. you know, and I do it every, every Sunday night or Monday morning and then send out a, an email to the group about what I thought and certainly welcome what they thought. Um, and the other ones are are the media critics who are, you know, with all due respect, are probably looking for something to make fun of us about, you know. So, but the rest of the world, you know, the rest of our audience, they're making pancakes, they're getting the kids ready to go to their football game, they're they're gathering stuff up to go to their game, their tailgate, and they're watching, but they're not obsessing. So you have to be clear, you have to be strong, and you and you can't drown them in minutia, or it becomes just white noise. And we never want our show to do that. You noted the homework. How do you prepare during the week? What's your week look like? I don't know how to answer it other than to say it's a lifestyle. And I don't, you know, I don't sit here and presume to think that I'm splitting the atom or, you know, doing something, some great deed for humanity. But it is something that you sort of are involved in all the time, whether it's whether it's through reading, um, whether it's through talking to people, um, you know, watching and listening and reading everything you can talking to your people on, on set. Uh, you know, I talked to, I, I talked to Kirk all the time. I talked to David all the time. You know, I try to make sure I make contact with everybody during the week. And Guy Arrow and I, as the producer, we're in constant communication. And it usually, it usually, I try to give them a break on Saturday during the games. And, you know, I'm trying to watch the games too, because you, you know, as many as you can, because you need to know what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. But by Sunday, we're we're already in it. And, you know, there are constant, uh, constant emails and texts going back and forth in a group. And then between the two of us, he and I almost always spend at least an hour and a half or so on the phone on Monday. Then we'll have another call with a few more people on it on Tuesday. And, you know, and it's, um, you know, it, it's just sort of a constant lifestyle. But I, I love the sport. And, I think if I were an insurance salesman or a plumber or had a landscaping company, I'd probably be terrible because I would be sort of obsessed with what's going on in college football. So I'm, I'm <laughs> fortunate, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to to do that as a living because otherwise I'd probably be in rough shape. 
once you guys get to site, we see the photographs from those pre-show meetings, but we're not inside those meetings. What leadership role do you take in there when everybody's in that same space? I, I, I try to direct the discussions, but not dictate them um, and try to really listen. You have to earn the respect of the people around you. And that's one of the things that the guys are very generous with in terms of listening. And obviously I, you know, I will try to, you know, I'll, I'll let them know what I'm thinking in terms of a discussion topic. You know, we never go through and say, you say this, you know, Desmond, you say that, David, you say this, coach, you say that, and then Kirk will say this. We never do that. I usually like to approach it like, here's the discussion topic. If someone has a better idea, um, or it, even if something comes up during the discussion while we're just, you know, maybe you're getting ready MLSU and, and somebody brings up a point that wasn't necessarily in the rundown, you know, we may say, hey, you know what, that's better. Let's talk about that instead. And um, so it kind of it kind of goes like that. You want to be you want to show leadership, but you also have to be very acutely aware of what the people around you need. And what I mean by that is that all of us, to do our best work, all of us need to feel valued, feel that we're important and that our input is evaluated. We don't have to do everything that I want to do on the show. Um, but, you know, I've been around shows in the past, um, you know, a long time ago, where it didn't really matter what the on-air people wanted to do. It was, it was overly driven by the producer. I've also been on shows where the producers didn't engage enough and was too much, you know, oh, well, um, you know, this person on the air wants to do this. We're doing that. Well, maybe not. It has to be a collaborative effort. So in those meetings, you want to be you you want to direct but not dictate. Maybe is maybe is the best way is the best way I can describe it, because you want everybody to to have the to feel like that if they say, hey, look, this is a really bad idea. We shouldn't do this. Um, you know, and there are other times, I'll give you an example. I, I'm more, um, I'm more comfortable, I would say, and I hope this isn't speaking out of turn. Some of my colleagues may disagree, though I don't think so. I think I'm more comfortable than anybody on my football, on my football set, uh, speaking on the name, image, and likeness thing. And I probably have a little different opinion than at least a couple of them do on it. Um, obviously, the most comfortable person is, you know, my basketball partner, Jay Billis. Um, mm-hmm. But so, you know, you, you go into those things with those sensibilities. There are times when those things have come up. And on Tuesday, I've forgotten which, which week it was. Maybe we were in Memphis and something had broken that week about name, image, and likeness. And on Tuesday, it seemed like we absolutely had to talk about it. By Friday afternoon, it didn't. And even though I'm a little more comfortable speaking on it, we really we took away the discussion on it altogether. I did I did mention it. I outlined what I thought it meant and nobody else said anything, you know, and that was OK because it didn't on Saturday morning leading up to the game didn't command a discussion the way that I felt and the way I think maybe Jim felt, too, on you know Monday or Tuesday when the story broke. And I think that's an example of of you know, listening to guys who said, you know, hey, you know, all right, I understand it's a big deal, but, you know, we're a few hours before kickoff in this great scene here. Is this what we want to do? And the Mm -hmm. answer on that day was no. You know, not on Saturday. It wasn't pressing. It wasn't going to happen 
that afternoon kickoff and there was nothing imminent that was going to happen like in the next few weeks. It was worth mentioning. I did so. And we moved on. And so I think I think that's where it comes in. You can't come in with an inflexible idea of what you're going to talk about and not respect others who may uh, you may have uh, have looked at it from a different point of view. That college game day panel and and the group with which you work is one of the most iconic in all of sport. What what attributes make that panel elite? They're incredibly well prepared. They love not only the show, but they love the sport. And, you know, Kirk has been, you know, the foundation of that show uh, from an analyst standpoint, you know, for a quarter century. And, you know, LC has been there, you know, virtually from the beginning and is such a beloved institution in the sport. And those two care not only about the show, but they care about the good of the sport and they care about everybody on the set and they're generous. And I think that um, all of those things, uh, they because they both have been there longer than anyone else, they set the tone. And, and everyone, I think, probably just from a, a serendipitous turn of events, everyone... Uh, there aren't selfish people there. Desmond, who's, uh, you know, whose football resume is <laughs> beyond anyone's wildest dream. No doubt. Super Bowl MVP, you know, all of the college football Hall of Fame, whole thing. And yet he, you know, and yet he, he is generous. He is a good teammate. You know, he, uh, he doesn't, you know, he never, I've never once in the times that I'm working with him has he, has he ever, you know, even given the slightest hint of, like, yeah, well, you know, I won the Heisman Trophy. My, you know, my point's more valid than anyone else's. Never. And he, I don't even think that, I don't even think that enters his consciousness, you know, and, and David the same way. I mean, David, David's going in the Hall of Fame, you know, the Benaric Award and a three-time All-American, three-time-first-team All-American, you know, and he never does that. And I think it's, I think a lot of it is just innately who those guys are. And then I also think that they look at it from the standpoint of the way the show has grown and become such a, uh, such an iconic part of the college football landscape and, Lee and Kirk have been part of that for so long that you think, well, if, if they're generous and if they're great teammates, well, of course I'm going to be. Now, I think, you know, to, you know, to be fair to, you know, everyone else on the set, I think they would likely do that anyway because it's who they are. It's the type of people they are. But I think it really just is elevated even more when you have the two guys, um, you know, who have been there the longest who are, you know, who are such great teammates and so supportive of, of the other people on the set and want very much for the show to, um, to maintain the high standards that they, uh, you know, so wonderfully helped set over, you know, over decades now. Tell me a great Corso story. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll tell you my favorite one, man. We're at, uh, we're at Penn State. Uh, first time we'd been to Penn State in a number of years. And uh, this was, uh, my goodness, Marty, probably it would have been 17, I think, 2017, I think. Anyway, 
we're there, and I, you know, I love to do those scene sets at the beginning. I like to capture something that is really identifiable with the place. And at Penn State, usually at some point during the game, the student section starts chanting, "We want the lion," and they grab the lion mascot and they, you know, they crowd surf him to the top of Beaver Stadium. So I thought, you know, we got the lion, and I was like, we're going to get him to do that, and we're going to have the lion crowd surf back toward Old Main, and that'll be really cool. And Herb Street, sort of laughingly on Friday, said, uh, "said Why don't we get LC to do it too?" As you think he'd do it, we asked him, and he said he was in. As Friday went on, I started to get more and more nervous about this. Not not because look, you know, LC's in incredible shape, so I wasn't you know I wasn't worried. I know some people worried about him dropping him. I wasn't worried about that. LC's tough, you know. You see him on the sidelines, but I did want him to be back on set and be comfortable and ready for the A block, you know, because he'd have it from the time I finished the scene set until coming to your city was over to get back. So I started getting nervous more as the day went on, and so I started telling our uh, our security people and director, look, if there's any doubt, if you don't, you know, if you don't think this is a good idea Saturday morning, say so, we're fine. So we get closer and closer to it, and our director, Rodney Perez, I, literally, Marty, couldn't have been 90 seconds before air. Um Rodney gets in my ear and says, RD, security saying no go, man. They don't want coach to do this. They don't think this is a good idea. They're afraid, they're afraid they can't control it. They don't know when they'll put him down. They might send him all the way back to Old Main. We won't get him back. You know, they, 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 they don't they don't feel good about this. You know, they, they don't feel good about this. And I said, okay, that's fine. Open up, uh, open up uh, my mic to coach and I'll tell him. So uh, I said, we opened it up and I said, hey, coach. I said, listen, uh, security is worried about this and said, why don't we just scrap it? You come on back up to the set to which LC responds. Hell no, we're doing it, sweetheart. And I, <laughs> and, uh, and I, so I, I said, coach says, hell no, we're doing it, sweetheart. So, uh, so <laughs> he jumped up and it was one of the great opens at the beginning. And he was, uh, he, you know, he tells us all the time as much as he loves football. He'll remind us if we start getting too worried about the guard coming off the combo block and getting up to the linebacker. He goes, hey, remember, it's entertainment, sweetheart. Football's our exactly vehicle. Right. And uh, so, you know, that was that epitomized that because he was uh, he had decided he was going through with it and he did it. And it was it was awesome. LC uh, in the line just surfing along the wide out <laughs> Penn State crowd. It was pretty cool. It's entertainment, sweetheart. Football's just our vehicle. We need T-shirts right now. Right now. Uh, I believe it. You know, the thing is, he's a great sounding board, though, Marty, for stuff. There have been different times when, you know, you know, he is, um, you know, he's very respectful. Uh, you know, he reminds you, like, maybe you'll have a guest on from time to time that maybe you have to ask some tough questions. And he's always very mindful about being respectful to people even if you know he understands if you have to challenge them but you know just things like that that you know i think that his wisdom and his experience and just his uh, genuine kind nature really lend him to being a, a valuable resource for all of us to remind us of you know of, of things that really that really help this show succeed at the level at which it has at which it has for so long Speaking of potential difficult moments or difficult questions that need to be asked, what was the most difficult or uncomfortable moment you've had to manage on air? 
Uh, oh boy. Um, you know, I mean, there, there are normal things like technical glitches. We had, uh, you know, we had something go horribly wrong in the middle of a great piece that Gene Wojciechowski did this year. And, you know, I mean, there's not, there's not much you can, you know, you can do about that. I don't think. Um, but you have, you know, it is, it's not pleasant. You have to sort of apologize for it and move on. Um, probably though, the most difficult again was sort of a technical error, but we were, um, you know, Tom Rinaldi had gotten an interview with Art Riles not long after the Baylor thing. Mm-hmm. And we were getting ready to have a very, you know, serious discussion about all of those allegations and football's place. And, you know, and uh, Samantha Ponder was still with us and, you know, to, um, to give her point of view. And, and we were all up there. And all of a sudden, we hear all of this extraneous discussion from people who, you know, didn't know we were about we were at Bristol Motor Speedway and we were about to have Richard Petty on it. You know, Richard had no idea uh, of what was coming in the show. He just walked over to a completely different set and there was some type of technical glitch that had his microphone going out over the air. And while we were trying to talk, you know, he would be just conversing with fans or whatever and laughing and different things. And this is no this was not his fault. You know, he he was just being wired up for a, a subsequent segment. And then when you're sitting on the set, you know, you're all of this is happening. But there is that moment, Marty, you've experienced this. What you hear in your ear, the people at home might not be hearing. Right. Know? And so you don't know if it's something that's just going on in your headset or if it's actually going home. And, you know, I was trying to pick times when I wasn't on camera that I could get on talk back, which most people probably know this. But when you're on set, you have a button you can push and talk back to people in the truck. And if everything functions correctly, what you're asking or what you're saying or what you're you know, offering doesn't get on the air. And I was trying to find out, is, are those voices going out on the air? If so I need to address this. And subsequently, uh, it was determined it was. And so you had to kind of manage that. And it derailed a very, um, you know, it derailed a very serious and topical discussion. And, you know, that, that kind of thing is, is hard to manage because, um, you know, there, you know, there's fallout from it. Um, you know, people, you know, people think that, you know, something intentional happened when it didn't. And, you know, all, all those types of things, you have to manage things in the moment. And then there are things to manage afterwards that you have to deal with as well. Unless you're thinking of something else awful that's happened to, uh, when I've been on the air. Those, uh, that's the one thing that comes to mind, I think. Uh, no, that's uh, I just uh, it, there are so many moments when you're live like that, that you have to manage and people at home just can't fathom and if they don't know it happened then that means you did your job really well i know i got to get you out of here i do want to ask one more thing that being which game day show for you was the most memorable it's easy man uh i mean going to washington state after mm-hmm. all of those years of making sure that old crimson was at the show and the quest and i think just the euphoria that the people felt by having the show come there. And I really believe that while we are humbled by and appreciative of um, the fact that so many people watch our show and, and come out to the show, I understand why they do it. I believe it's because of their pride in their school and their team and their program and, uh, you know, their university, their region, whatever it might be. And, and 
for all of those years where Washington State hasn't been consistently successful, yet they were consistent in getting that uh, that flag to the show and to have it come together and have game day come there and the you know the overwhelming response that we got in just uh, you know it was just Marty it was just joyful. You know, it wasn't, you know, there was no, it's about time. We've been trying, you know, there, you know, there wasn't, um, it was, it was genuine and pure and they were excited to say, Hey, we've got, we've got a special, um, university in town and we've got a winning team and we want to show it off. And I, I don't know. I think if I were just going on pure adrenaline and stage and moment and, uh, you know, getting to, uh, getting to the office at, you know, before 4 a.m. Pacific time and seeing those people out there already singing and partying and just having a blast and just being full at that hour. You know, if you were just going on the crowd and, and the environment, and the atmosphere and what it meant to them, I don't know that we'll ever have a show that will top that. And it was uh, that I, everything else fights for second uh, to me anyway, at least in terms of atmosphere and doing that. I love it, brother. As I wrote in my book, College Game Day to me is an institution that is as important to the fabric of the game these days as the games themselves. And you guys do such a good job. And I have so many questions about muscle shoals and so many questions about balancing football and basketball and family and all of those things. But we got to get you out of here. I just want to say thank you for your friendship, for your perspective, for the way you carry yourself, for your faith, and all those things that are so inspiring to those of us who get to call you a friend, brother. Thank you for the time. Well, Marty, I appreciate that, and I feel the same way about you. And I'll be glad to come back on sometime, and we'll talk about Muscle Shoals and the Swampers who've been known to pick a song or two. And yes, sir. It is, it is the hit recording capital of the world. Never forget that. Fame Studios, son. Right, Home of Reese Davis. Let's go. <laughs> Appreciate the you, brother. Hall, Y'all stay Hall, safe. The Hall family would probably take issue with you uh, putting me together with Fame, <laughs> but that's all right. I'll take it. Hey, I'll see you, brother. Take care. So, as I said before Reese came on, uh, first of all, I'm really grateful for his time. I called a few people before I got in that chair during Laura's maternity leave to host SEC Nation. I'd never hosted anything in my life, and so I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. I had no idea, and so I called Joe Tessitore, who hosted SEC Nation before Laura. I called Ernie Johnson, who hosts Inside the NBA. Nobody hosts a show like Ernie. No, Ernie's a legend. And he's, again, just such a grace, just gracious man. He is full of grace and is able to wrangle Shaq, Kenny, and, and Chuck somehow. <laughs> that, and, that right there is a, a phenomenal job to be able to do that alone. Yeah, we should have him on. He'd be a great guest. I called those two and I called Reese. Those were the three people I called. And, of course, I called Laura and just tried to get an idea. But, man, you can't. I had no idea. Until that light's on, until that red light turns on, and you're sitting up there with Tim Tebow, Paul Feinbaum, and Marcus Spears, you just can't know until you know. Another thing, too, Marty, is doing a studio show compared to remote, there's so many more added elements to make it a harder thing. And then also, you're doing the show down in the South, so you're in a suit. 
and it's 90 degrees out and you're stuck out there. You know, if you're doing a studio show, the, you know, the setup and everything is so much, you know, more comfortable for you. Yeah. There's no teleprompters. Better know your stuff. Um, but it was the, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I'm so thankful to Lee Fitting and to Tom McCollum and Baron Miller and, and all of the executive level folks who were involved in that decision and giving me that opportunity because I grew as a broadcaster. I grew more as a broadcaster in that 10 weeks than I had in a very, very long time because it was so far outside of the norm for me. I had to grow. I studied diligently, but I learned how to study in new ways. I learned uh, it was very beneficial to me. I'm a much better broadcaster because of that experience. And I look forward to doing it again. I mean, I ain't done. I don't know when I'll do it again, but I will. And it just made me a lot better. So thanks so much to, to all of those folks I just mentioned for giving me the opportunity, Steph Drooley, all of them. It's funny how it worked from an emotional, the, the emotional spectrum for me because I had, I had overwhelming insecurity and overwhelming anxiety for Six weeks, probably. And then, as they told me, it's just going to click. Like, you're going you're, you're to start to understand. You're going to be able to anticipate. And when, when you get to that point, it's why you practice. It's like anything. Life is context and repetition. I say it all the time. With reps comes the ability to anticipate. And you're not married to pieces of paper that are telling you what's coming next. Uh, it's just, it's quite an exercise. And what Reese and Laura do, uh, blow, just, just, uh, it's, it's amazing how easy they make it look. I remember texting you that Friday night and you're just kind of, you know, still trying to fill it out. And I, I, just had this confidence and that that weekend was the one on text you Saturday afternoon and it was the best one. And it was the one that it finally clicked and you could, you could just tell how comfortable you were out there. Yeah, man. It just, uh, it was interesting that again, that emotional spectrum was crazy. You go from great anxiety and great. I mean, my baseline anxiety was the highest of my life and, uh, and, and insecurity about whether or not you're fit to do it. And then you have a couple little small victories here and there. And I was very, I was really grateful to have Marcus Spears sitting beside me and Tim Tebow sitting beside me because, uh, even though I was, even though they were, you know, putting me on their backs and carrying me for a while, they were still carrying me and building me up spiritually and emotionally. And it's hard to, it's hard to really quantify what that meant to me. They're brothers what? to me. If you need two people to carry you, um, yeah, they ain't bad. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you can find two better guys to to carry and lead you through whatever. Because those dudes, I, I I wouldn't want to cross those boys. That's a couple really broad sets of shoulders right there. So anyway, I uh, really appreciate Reese's time. He he is the best. Look, before we move along here, I want to remind you guys to watch the last dance we're coming up towards the end of it here the last two episodes are sunday evening at 9 p.m eastern if you're not watching it i don't know what you're doing uh whether you're a sports fan basketball fan jordan fan or not it is captivating television 
it is never before seen Michael Jordan. And again, whether you're a sports fan or not, he in the 90s was the most famous person on the globe or one of the five most famous people on the globe. And so it just gives such a unique perspective on who he was as a teammate, who he was as a man, everything that he was managing, the unmitigated, unyielding, indomitable will to prevail and win at all costs. And look, he was my hero, and I have gotten a completely new look at him that I didn't know existed. I had never seen him in practice like that. I had never seen the demands. I had never seen teammates call him a before, and that's what you get. And afterwards, you can listen to the wrap-up podcast, which is awesome. I've watched those as well with Jalen and Jacoby. Immediately following the broadcasts presented by State Farm, when you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That coverage also brought to you by AT&T. It's available wherever you enjoy your podcasts, along with Marty Smith's America. I can't get enough of it, man. It's really helped me during this time. Another thing that helped me is the Deer Sports Initiative that ESPN has put on. And I got an email one day, and it was from the Creative Works Unit at ESPN, with which I do a lot of work, and I love the work that I get to do with them. They're called Creative Works, and there's a reason. Because the creative minds involved in that unit at ESPN are very inspiring to me. And they had this idea, and it's, it's an idea they've had for a while, that they wanted to do a Deer Sports initiative where some of the on-air people for ESPN self-produced selfie iPhone video where we write a letter to sports and what sports means to us. And they asked a bunch of us to do it, uh, some of the most forward-facing ESPN personalities did it. I saw Kevin Nagandis. I saw Holly Rose was beautiful. Scott Van Peltz was amazing. Tom Rinaldi, who y'all know how I feel about, about Tommy. He's the greatest storyteller of our time. And to see their perspectives on it was really inspiring to me. But I saw all of those after I did my own. I, when I got asked to do it, I immediately sat down at my computer And we were supposed to do 45 seconds to a minute and a half. And I just decided I'm just going to do mine and see where it nets out. And I think I wound up at two and a half minutes. And every television producer I have is rolling their eyes right now because I am long-winded. And to ESPN's credit, they let me run with that. And... I didn't know exactly what to say because of everything that sports has been to me, but I didn't want to labor over it. I wanted it to be an immediate, free-flowing, spit-it-out moment where I wrote those thoughts. And Travis went and grabbed those thoughts from the amazing Twitter thread that is on at ESPN called hashtag Dear Sports. Here's my thoughts. Dear Sports. I am so grateful for your example. That it's okay to strive even when the outcome looks bleak. And that it's okay to work yourself to the bone just for the chance to prevail. That it's okay to dream fantastic dreams that on most stages draw scoffs, but in your spotlight are in fact possible to grasp. 
and that it's okay to fail as long as we repurpose failure as fuel and use hurt as homework to ace the next test. I am grateful for your example. You helped make me, and then you helped save me. When I needed purpose and belonging, you provided it on dirt infields with rock-hard bases and old tattered uniforms, and on dusty hardwood with nobody but our parents watching, and on crisp fall Friday nights with the whole damn county watching. You made me believe. Believe in a greater purpose. Believe in myself. You took me in as a kid and helped show me what it is to be a man and hone those attributes so that I could become a man. Sacrifice, selflessness, character, attitude, resolve. And as a man, you allow me to act like a kid. To be irrationally emotional. You allow me to feel. And you introduce me to amazing individuals who inspire and demand that I search for a greater me. My daddy used to tell me when I was small and I failed that the beauty of life and certainly the beauty of sport is that with want to, indomitable will to succeed, the cream always rises to the top. I can't wait to see you rise back to the top because you will. You always do. Thank you. That's just the way I feel. And I don't say this to try to be cool. I'll say this just to give you guys some context. That was about five minutes, probably about five minutes it took me to do that because, again, I wanted it to be raw. And there were a couple lines in there that people, but buddies of mine have, have hit me up about. College football coaches have hit me up about. And those couple lines are, you made me and then you saved me. Uh, and I, I mean that. That is, that is the truth. Because sports, as I said there, taught me a lot of the attributes to what it is to be a man and what it is to champion other people and what it is to demand the utmost of yourself every single day, all day long, so that when you're alongside your brothers and sisters who are demanding that of themselves too, then you can be excellent. You can live up to the standard that is the best that you can be and not be complacent in that. Sports taught me how evil complacency is. Nick Saban has said to me more times than I can count that the greatest threat to sustained excellence is complacency, getting too damn comfortable. And I just, that was another reminder to me that sports was so important in in my self-demands to give everything I have every day. Because if not, man, you're cheating yourself and you're cheating everybody else. And so I really appreciated that initiative uh, and, and everyone's feedback. I want you guys to send me your feedback. I would love to hear and see your dear sports appreciation on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter feed is at Marty Smith ESPN. You can go find right now the lengthy thread on ESPN's 
Twitter feed, at ESPN. You can go see everybody's and put yours there. Copy us on it so that we can see them, what your dear sports thoughts are. I know a lot of you guys have overcome a lot, and sports was a catalyst and a platform to help you overcome, to help you achieve, to help you believe in yourself when maybe in other areas of your life you couldn't. That certainly happened to me. Sports was always, you know, I've said to my wife many times that I wasn't a cool kid in high school. I just happened to be fortunate enough to be a decent athlete. And so I got to live on that outer edge of the cool kids where nobody really messed with me. But I wasn't a cool kid by any stretch. But football, basketball, and baseball kind of was a shield for me. It allowed me to not feel the wrath of the cool kid crap. It allowed me to be on the periphery of their clique. I wasn't in it, and I wasn't shunned from it, but I was I was just outside that circle, and I was, I was cool with that. And that was all because of ball. And I know a lot of you guys probably have stories of how you had to have sport. So tell them to me. That stuff inspires me. Hit us up on – a lot of y'all are reaching out to Travis and me on Instagram, and I read them all, and I'm appreciative of that. I love to see – what this podcast is, what sports is to you, what these features I'm doing right now on these SEC athletes, former athletes who are on the front lines right now. I love that. And Travis and I see them all. He'll either see them or I'll see them and, and we share them. It means a lot to us. So we have now gone the better part of two months with no sports. And it's been not very fun. I miss it bad. Uh, the Masters was postponed. The Kentucky Derby was postponed. The NCAA tournament was canceled. All the conference tournaments were canceled. Spring sports, all of those things. NBA is postponed right now. We don't know what the fall looks like. But as I tape this, we are six days away from NASCAR Cup Series racing returning at Darlington Raceway. Hell yeah. And I can't wait to see the best in the world in motorsport leave their motorhomes where they will be quarantined from the time they arrive at the racetrack until the moment they walk to those race cars, strap in, and fire off into turn one, one of the most difficult, trickiest turns in all of motorsports. And there's going to be a lot of nerves uh, Jimmy Johnson told Ryan McGee and me late last week when we interviewed him for Marty and McGee Show and Tell on the SEC Network that he's been doing some eye racing at Darlington just to try to get those mental reps in his mind. But there's going to be some nerves. Denny Hamlin, three-time Daytona 500 champion, told me last week. He's like, anybody who tells you they're not going to be a little bit nervous, they're lying to you. And Jimmy had actually told McGee and me that he's never gone into a race like this where he didn't have practice first, at least something. What do you think that's going to be like? They don't get any practice. The team itself doesn't get to, like, you know, tinker with the car and work on it. And, you know, after the driver's out there and saying how he, the car feels, they're going out there cold and everyone's going to be guessing. What do you think that's going to be like for the driver but also the crew? I think it's going to be nerve-wracking. And I think you'll see NASCAR put in a competition caution. Uh, 30 laps in, maybe something like that. Let the drivers have a run. Cause Darlington too, one thing y'all, 
that aren't hardcore NASCAR people may not understand, it's also the most abrasive surface. It's a very abrasive surface. It chews up the tires. So you would think, I don't know the number. NASCAR's not told me this. This is a guess. 25 laps, 30 laps, whatever that is, let them get a run and and then come in and have a competition caution. That's a predetermined caution period and let them come in and, and work on the cars. So um, it's going to be amazing, though. We need sports, and I think it's a massive opportunity right now for NASCAR to be the show. That's something they haven't had in a very long time, man, a long time. And they're going to have the opportunity on Sunday afternoon, May 17th, at 3.30 Eastern time, to be the show. And for those of you who aren't, again, aren't NASCAR aficionados, 1979 was a seminal moment for NASCAR racing. It was the first time that the Daytona 500 had ever been broadcast flag to flag. CBS broadcast the race, and the entire eastern seaboard was snowed in. Huge, huge snowstorm for the entire east coast. And all snowed in. Nothing on TV to watch, but that NASCAR race was on from down in Florida. And it was a dream scenario. The most famous driver in the history of the sport, Richard Petty, won that race in shocking fashion. When Kel Yarborough and Donnie Allison, who were battling for the lead of that race, wrecked each other in turn three, came down to the inside of turn three, jumped out of their cars, and started beating the hell out of each other. Full-blown backyard redneck fist fight. Bobby Allison sees his brother in a fight down there, so he jumps in the free, stops his car. He jumps in the fray, too. And, you know, it's funny hearing uh, Bobby talk about it today, about that fight with Kale. He said, I don't understand it, Marty. He just kept running his face into my fist. I never understood that. Beautiful. What, it is. One of the things that made me fall in love with the sport is that raw intensity. And we, I say we, I still, I still claim it as mine. That sport is amazing. It's awesome. It's going to be weird to not see, you know, fans in the stands. And then, you know, even the pre-race, usually you'll see people walk in pit row and stuff. But once the race starts, for the most part, from a viewing standpoint, it's going to be just like any other race. You won't hear some of the crowd noise, but for the most part, you'll still get the, the car sounds and all that. So, you know, I think it's going to be great and get some cold ones ready and uh, sit down and enjoy it. Yeah, I expect to be there. Um, that's still to be determined at this point, but that's my expectation. And I hope that's the case. That would be such an honor. Speaking of an honor, thank you guys. It's an honor to me and to Travis that you guys take time out of your week each week to listen and give us feedback. Again, please send us your dear sports letters and Thank you so much for listening. Let us know what you think of the show. We love to see those thoughts. It's really buoyed me during this time to get to do the show, spend this time with you guys, and and dive in deep to not only you know the interview subjects, but stuff that's going on in our lives. And it always really fills up my tank that I get letters from folks who need to hear something we say in that moment. And I've thought about sharing a couple of those letters, but I haven't done it out of respect for the people that wrote them. Maybe I'll read a couple of them here 
in the next couple episodes without names because it just has really given me perspective on what the, this that this show's different than I thought. Yeah, I got matters to me. I got a DM on Twitter a couple weeks ago and I shared it with you and it was it left me speechless. Yeah. What the person had to say um and then you realize it makes you realize that you know while at times we're just goofing around and we're just you know we're just having fun over here what it does mean to some people and it, that means a lot to us that means the world to us and before we get out of here as we do each week i want to take a moment to highlight all of the folks who've been so amazing and so heroic during this coronavirus pandemic moment that we're living and has rearranged our lives so dramatically, the doctors and nurses certainly. I've gotten such new perspective doing these features for SEC Network. We just posted one on Mother's Day about an amazing mom, Dr. Sarah Edwards, who played basketball for the University of Tennessee for legendary coach Pat Summit. Dr. Edwards lives here in Charlotte. She and her husband own a cosmetic surgery practice, but during because the medical community became so overwhelmed during COVID-19, she returned to the emergency room. They have four daughters. And to see her discuss her daughter's fears and her daughter's concern about her going to battle this enemy and what example that sets for her daughters is awesome. It's just awesome. And very it was very humbling and inspirational to me to see Dr. Edwards discuss it. So go check that out. Uh, the at the, the SEC Network Twitter feed is at SEC Network. It's also on mine, at Marty Smith ESPN. Take five minutes to watch that because she's a hero. And it's also fun to see her husband discuss her heroism and what an amazing example she is to their daughters. It's really cool. Thank you so much to all of our first responders, to our law enforcement officials, policemen, women, our firemen. Um, I was asked by someone to recognize the sanitation workers. Thank you, guys. Uh, I was asked by someone else to recognize the funeral home attendees. Thank you, guys. There's so many people right now who are doing amazing things and are sacrificing in ways that we don't see or think about every day. And so thanks from from Travis and from me and everybody involved in Marty Smith's America for what all you guys do. Uh, thanks so much to Reese Davis for offering his time to me. I love you, brother. I appreciate you and your perspective, your example, and everything that you've done for me. Um, that's it. Marty Smith's America, Volume 101. We'll try to do better next time. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're trying to do here.